Hello, and welcome to Digiday Live, our podcast where we bring you the best sessions from our many summits around the world. I'm Gianna Cappadona, and on this episode, we have a session from the Digiday Publishing Summit Europe held in Milan in March this year. The collapse of display, data privacy, and the never-ending duopoly saga. There have been many recent challenges to the modern media ecosystem with results at both ends of the spectrum. With media companies in a constant state of evolution, is there a path to sustainable media? Looking at News UK's varied portfolio of media brands, Ben Walmsley, Commercial Director of Publishing at News UK, talks about the state of media and where we should be focusing efforts in order to be sustainable in the long run. A lot of talk um, about trying to um, juggle a, an ad model and a subscription model. Um, you guys are doing both. We are. So give us a little walk. Um, well, so, so the journey for us, I guess, started in 2012 when um, so we have two titles, The Sun and The Times, who, uh, who operate at very different ends of the spectrum. So The Sun, which is mass market, uh, has around 30 million unique users. And then The Times, which is a much more premium proposition, a subscription model. But in 2012, we took the decision to put both of those titles behind the, behind the paywall. Uh, that worked for the Times, and that's something we've continued, and we've seen um, tremendous growth with that. But for the Sun, it's, it was quite a different story. So for the Sun, um, it, it didn't work so well, and we, re we reversed the decision in November 2015. So we now have the, the two business, uh, businesses within our publishing division, the, the Times, which is certainly going to pursue that subscription model. We've seen growth from, from the decision to put the paywall up, which at the time was seen as really quite radical and uh, we were questioned for doing it. But we've since seen growth through 550,000 subscribers. It's, it's priced at the premium end of the market, so subscription to the Times digital only is £26 a month. Uh, that rises to £40 for print and digital subscription. We've seen around half of those now come from digital only, and that's where we're seeing the fastest growth, so in the region of 20% year-on-year growth for, for digital subscriptions, which is something actually at the premium end of, of um, News Corp's titles we've seen consistently across the globe, somewhere in the region of 20% growth in, in digital subscriptions. So we take great encouragement from that. I think we've been helped by some of the, the geo geopolitical uh, environment, both, both here and in the US, but we're certainly seeing people um, willing, to, willing to pay for quality journalism. Um, and and so, so that, we feel, is a very sustainable model. Uh, for The Sun, it's, it's somewhat different. So we, we, as I say, took that decision to bring down the paywall in November 2015. And that's been quite a different strategy. So we, we, we have an ad model, um, as we do with The Times, but clearly it's a different um, ad model uh, on the basis that when someone's paying £26 a month, you've got to be you know, very respectful of that user experience and, and really hold that sacrosanct. Uh, but for the Sun, it's about having that, that ad model and then combining it with uh -huh. new transactional models, and we're launching those all the time. So I want to talk about that, but just to go back, why do you think that it didn't work with the Sun? Is it just too competitive in that space for that? Or, and do you sort of wish that you sort of held on? I mean, because now everyone is going, not everyone, but a lot of publishers are going, are moving away from ad-driven models and, and going straight into... Um, into subscriber models. And, and they're much more flexible now. Yeah. It's not hard paywall. Um, there's meters, there's dynamic, there's memberships. There's lots of different permutations compared to, I feel like, you know, back in 2015. Yeah, well, I, think, I think you're right. I think, I think it, is, it is too competitive for, for mass market journalism. And, and so I think every publisher needs to go through that, that period of evaluation and to understand what's, what's the right model. And, and we're flexing and evaluating that all of the time. I mean, go, you know, go back to the times. We, um, we started with this very hard paywall uh, strategy. That's worked, but we realize now that we're going we're to hit, hit a wall and we're going to need to find growth from somewhere else. So for the times, that, that 
change in strategy began with registered access. So that was about um, allowing people to access two free articles a week if they if they registered, gave mm -hmm. us some information about themselves, which is, has worked in the sense that it's provided a funnel for subscribers as well. And now it's about making sure that we offer community around the subscriptions as well. So uh, commenting is, is a good example of that. We see around 10% of people will comment, 10% of our subscribers, 20% of people um, will, will read comments on any given day, and we find that those people are much more likely to engage with us over the longer term, but they're also more likely to engage with other brand extensions that we'll have. So we have, we have a thing called Times Plus, which is, um, uh, enables our subscribers to redeem offers. So, for instance, of the Times Plus subscribers, 250,000 people have, have downloaded an e-book or 50,000 people who have redeemed a, um, a meal in a restaurant, that kind of thing. So I think it's about ex expanding on just the subscription model and finding, um, finding as you say, a, a more flexible offering. And that's something we've done with The Sun as well. Although I think clearly we're now in a position where we think The Sun um, probably isn't right for a paid model and we have to look at other right. transactional models, other brand extensions. So you don't think The Sun can it. have some variation of, of a membership model or, or some kind of... You know, leave aside the hard paywall that didn't work. Mm. A membership model, absolutely, and we're, we're doing that now. So, so I think if you look at the Sun, and actually if you look at all of our, our products, over, over many years we've had um, a variety of brand extensions. And I, I give the example of Sun 950 Holidays. So this is it's in its 29th year. So we, um, we, we encourage people to collect tokens in the, in the newspaper. Uh, if people collect a certain amount of tokens, then they can book a holiday and redeem that against the holiday for as little as, as £9.50. And over, over the last 29 years, we've sent 55 million people on holiday. Uh, it was 1.5 million last year. I, I, was, I was one of them. Um, and uh, it's, um, it's been an enormously successful thing. But now it's about moving that into, as you say, a membership model. So to have a single view of who that customer is. We, we launched a product called Sunsavers. So Sunsavers is, as, as it sounds, a, a saving app. Uh, we launched it in June 2017. Since then, we've, uh, we've built up a subscriber base of, of 900,000 people. P again, if people collect tokens in the newspaper, we'll, we'll deposit money into their account. So 28 tokens, you get £5 in, in your account. You can de deposit money and then use that or redeem that against a variety of different services and offers, whether that's family days out or 950 holidays, uh, upgrades to the, the, the holiday experience. We've done deals with beauty uh, kits and so forth. So lots of different ways that we, um, we, can, we allow our, our readers to redeem that cash. But that's the membership scheme there. And, and then it's about building this, again, this sense of community, lots of different products that we offer. Uh, and we're now starting to build on that. We've, um, we're launching another thing this week, actually. So um, The Sun has a, a really strong heritage in horse racing. And uh, it's, it's number one print product for horse racing. Cheltenham Festival, uh, which is coming up. We wanted to launch this product in time for Cheltenham. Uh, we have a, around a million people will come to the sun.co.uk during Cheltenham week. So we're launching a product which is aimed at our horse racing fan base. Uh, it's, a, it's a digital product, digital-only product, an app, which is, um, is built in partnership with a company we own, News Corp Australia owns, called Punters. And so it's aimed at, the, uh, at more of the, the horse racing enthusiasts. So we, we segmented the market into two types. The younger... Um, Enthusiasts, that's gamblers, right? Yeah, 
Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> two different types of gamblers. <laughs> two different types. So we've got the, uh, the, the younger uh, football enthusiasts. We have a product called Dream Team as well, another brand extension, uh, which is the, the UK's largest fancy football game. And so this is about getting people who are interested in football betting, um, also um, yeah, providing horse racing content. But then we've also got the, something which is aimed more at the, uh, the, the true gambler, the, the <laughs> yeah, real enthusiast. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we, we've, we've done deals with four bookies who will be our affiliate partners through okay, that. Okay, so in this app, you're going to be able to make Bets. Yeah, that's oh, right. Yeah, cool. so it's, it's content heavy as well. So it's lots of lots of information about about racing, lots of and and the business and so model forth. there. And I think it's it's different in the UK than in the US. Um, is you take is it an affiliate fee or do you actually take like a vig? Uh, so it's, it's affiliate. It's, it's both. Okay. It's both the affiliate model and there's you're the, not uh, the you're, not, you're, not, you're not becoming a book. Uh, no, not <laughs> okay. at the moment. Never say never. Never say never. <laughs> okay. Um, so this is part of the diversification yeah. strategy. How like how important is it strategically to get for on the sun side, and then we're going to go to the the time side. But on the sun side, to get the amount of revenue um, that's coming from advertising to a lower percentage. If if paywalls are not going is not going to happen. Um, it sounds like you're going to have a lot of these different incremental things in order to balance the revenue portfolio. Yeah, I think that, I think that's right. I mean, we, we don't I think we we look at them as uh, somewhat as isolated businesses in terms of we don't think well it would be good to have that as a percentage, but rather help set set targets and ambitions for both. I think where the where the two things intersect is with data, and we've we've been on this journey now for a couple of years be, because we've had all these brand extensions over. In some cases, the oldest being, uh, I think the oldest is the Sunday Times Wine Club, which is, is 40 years old. But they've all been built in silos. And so these, these strategies and great ideas have occurred over time. And someone said, you know, we should have a wine club. But 40 years ago, people weren't thinking about a single view of the customer and being able to connect all that data together. And, and so now... There were no DMPs. There were no DMPs. It was, if only we'd foreseen that 40 <laughs> years ago. So, so we've been on this journey of sort of connecting it all at the, at the back end, but also thinking about how, how we can use that data more effectively with this single view of the customer. What's the next best action we can put in front of that person? So the data is, is used, if we think about the two things as separate businesses, and one is an ad model, and we, certainly don't, we haven't exhausted that yet. We've seen tremendous growth, although we've come from a you know, relative standing start in the case of the Sun. Um, the, there's, there's the Sun, and then uh, there's the, the brand extensions and the transactional models. And, and the... the the thing that fuels all of that, the heart behind it, is the, is the data. And having it, having it um, in a single repository has been the, the biggest challenge of the past couple mm -hmm. of years. But we're now at a point where we've done that. So it was a, a project we called News IQ to have that single view of the customer. And then we can use that, to, use that data to better inform ad targeting, better inform insight, whether it's um, either targeting of ads or responding to clients' challenges, branded content briefs, for instance, but also what's the next best transactional product, what's the next best offer we can put in front of that same mm -hmm. person. So the ad business is still growing yeah. on the sun side. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so on the time side, I think one of the things is when you go into a subscription, you know, in the early days you convert, you convert all your loyalists yeah. and you're like, oh my God, look at this, this chart's going to go <laughs> yeah. straight and to the right and it's, it looks lovely. And then you hit a wall. Mm -hmm. um, because you start to get into um, the people who are not just the hardcore loyalists. Yeah. Um, for those who are just starting on the journey to subscriptions, um, explain that a little bit because you, you alluded to it. Yeah, I, I, so I, we, we figured that there's a, there's a million people that we could we could sell a subscription to in the UK. And, and again, I think that comes down to the price point. You know, what is the price point that you want to go in at? We, we've chosen... 
to go deliberately high and to, to reinvest that into, into great journalism. And, and £26 a month is, is really at the top end of, for digital only and £40, as I said, if you're going into the print and, digi print and digital. So we've decided to, to go at the high end and then, and then invest that back into what we think is a fantastic product. So th there will be a cap, and now we're, now we're looking at new ways to try and build subscribers. So what we've seen is um, a couple of things I'd, I'd think about. is uh, we, We've launched a pilot scheme over the past uh, six weeks with Loughborough and Imperial Universities. Uh, we've seen 6,000 university subscribers coming through those pilot schemes, and now we're launching um, a, a program which is significant discounts for universities, uh, which would, would last for the period that someone's at university, and then they would convert to, um, to full subscribership once, they've, um, once the university education has ended. So we think that's a, a way to build a new subscriber base, as you say, as we, as we, be, we begin to max out. But we've also seen a significant growth in international subscriptions. So we have subscribers now from over 200 different countries, uh, and we're seeing now six times the rate of subscribers from international markets that, that we did um, 18 months ago. And that's, and that's actually happened fairly organically. That's without any real marketing drive. So we think that there is, um, there, there is international growth as well. But I, I think you're right. You need to understand what that addressable market is, which is largely dictated by price. And we, we, we figure there's around a million. It's not to say we're ever going to be very hard to convert every one of the million that would potentially pay that much money a month for subscription. Mm -hmm. But that's where we, yeah. we think our cap is. How about managing churn? Churn is the thing no one likes to talk about, but it's a reality. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I mean, if you can, you know, the figures are extraordinary. If you hear, if you just, if you just reduce it by 1%, it's so much easier to, to retain somebody. So um, a couple, couple of things. I think one is building that sense of community. Commenting has been a massive, um, uh, has, has given us a massive benefit in terms of increasing engagement. So Spotify do this really well. Just if you've got your playlists, nobody ever wants to, to leave because you've started to, to curate this thing around you. Uh -huh. And so that's a, features like that really help keep people in the product. So being able Ex to explain that a little bit more. Well. If you've, if you've invested time in something and it's personalized, then you're more yeah. likely to want to stay. So there's, there's a couple of things that we're doing in that respect. One is we've launched what we call a, a digital butler called James. Uh, and it's a, it's a machine learning product which looks at 1,600 different data points. And it will, it will determine what is the next best, best story, next best piece of content to put in front of someone at what time of day, with what cadence and frequency based on their content consumption patterns. So um, James will surface that. In the first instance, it's via email, but now we're looking, as, as the product develops, we're looking at both push notifications and social channels too. So we can then start to, to build that loyalty. Um, so that's, that's curated um, and, and um, tailored by this machine learning capability. But we're seeing that have a, have a significant impact on, on customer retention. Commenting is, is the other thing I mentioned. So you know, there's the, uh, the propensity for someone to, to stay with us if they comment and they feel part of this community is, is that much greater. And then there's Times Plus, which is um, where we're doing events and other things, other benefits for members mm -hmm. around the Times subscription. So they really feel part of something. And then yeah. um, and the final thing is that, you know, the ability to curate your own version of the Times, save stories, and, and, and feel like you've invested in the product. I mean, so product. bluntly, engagement is the biggest signal when it comes to, you know, guarding against churn. Yeah, it is, absolutely. So and we, we, we launched a project, we call it, internally we called it Jefferson. I think actually you may have written about it, mm -hmm. but it was, it was about looking at what are the signals after a month, after two months, after three months of someone subscribing, where should they be if they're, if they're likely to stay? What are the signals we look for, which are things like making sure that you've consumed 
um, stories on all of the different devices that you may have been connected to, making sure that you've connected from two or three different devices, desktop and, and mobile and everything else. And so we, we would start to send marketing notifications to people to try and make yeah. sure that they're exhibiting the behavior. And if, they're, and if their behavior changes is usually a, a big warning sign. I know the, the New York Times um, head of data had said that like the one big signal they look for is if someone's behavior changes. Yeah. Like if they were like really consuming product and then stop, then that's a, that's a danger sign. Absolutely. And actually, you know, the other thing about retention is the call centers, which is just extraordinary. Um, so you have to call to cancel. Yeah. Oh God. You call, yeah, you call to cancel. <laughs> uh, but the, 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 the people who, who work in the call centers are just extraordinary and we'll send journalists to go and speak to them and they, they'll feel so part of the paper that they're you know, trained up to say, but aren't you going to, what do you like about the newspaper? Aren't you going to miss uh, whichever your favorite journalist is? And, and they talk so knowledgeably about the products. Absolutely like, extraordinary. I have them on the line. Okay, so one last thing is, is around Ozone. Mm. Um, a little bit of a pivot here, but um, really interesting um, alliance idea. Um, explain it a little bit um, and the progress. Yes, yeah, so, uh, so Ozone is a, um, it's a joint venture, so we, it's four news publishers in the UK, uh, News UK, The Guardian, Telegraph, and Reach. Uh, we've been working on it for uh, eight, just over 18 months, uh, and we, um, we talked about alliances in the past, we talked about joint sales houses, there have been alliances, they've got a fairly checkered history, uh, but we wanted to do something different with Ozone, which was we came from a starting point that we believe the technology framework um, or, or the, the way that the digital market has evolved over the past um, 10 years or so has been to the disadvantage of the three constituents that matter most in a, in a free information economy. And, and they are... Google, Facebook... Exactly. How did you guess? <laughs> so no, we I'm wanted to help those guys out. Um, so no, the, uh, the, the, the consumer, uh, perhaps the most important, the advertiser and the, and the producer of original content. So we, we felt that the... The publisher, the advertiser have been disintermediated. There's a lot of stuff going on in the middle that we have little insight and little control over. And then there are some areas where publishers are just trying to solve the same problems independently of one another. And so what if we join forces and solve those together? We think alliances in the past have often started with, a, with that uh, outlook, which is Google, Facebook, whoever is taking lots of ad spend. If only we had scale, why don't we just combine and then, and then we, you know, we, we create scale. But scale in itself, scale of inventory, isn't really that transformative. Like, we could set up a business right now, probably in this room, which has got great scale with a seat and a, and a DSP, but it's not, it's not really going to change matters. What's going to change is, is uniformity in certain respects of the technology stack. So Ozone has two distinct uh, elements to it. One is, is about publishers co-investing in technology, in certain aspects of technology. And it's, that we're really careful that we're not getting into the ad tech business per se. We want to work with all the ad tech vendors we do today. But we would like to create some uniformity in some areas where it makes sense. And mm -hmm. so one of those is the, is the creation of a, a server-side header bidding wrapper to get as much of that code off our pages as possible. And this is where the user experience, we think, is, has been... Um, has been compromised over the last 10 years with so much code being executed on publishers' pages, really bad user experience, lots of data leakage, so we wanted to, to get a grip on that between the publishers. And then the other side is the media and data alliance. So once you've created that uniformity and consistency, then it gives you a foundation to build a, uh, a, a really compelling offer for advertisers. And, and, and that's 
by having a data set or unlocking a data set which doesn't exist today because most of the data that publishers offer is trapped or confined within individual private marketplaces because it only works on that one publisher. So creating some, again, uniformity and consistency in accessing a vast data set is, is potentially transformative, and, and that's what Ozone does from a, an, an advertiser perspective. Mm -hmm. Okay, want to open up to questions for Ben? A couple of microphones. Yes. So uh, Ozone is, is active by now, or? It's active, yes, yeah. And you guys bundle the data with media execution, or is it just like, uh, how do you pretty much operate? It, yeah, so it's, it's media and data together. So it's a transparent split. So we, um, so the four publishers in at the moment, um, we're, we're potentially looking at bringing on new publishers as well. So we look at different sectors, but it's, it's split 70% on the media and 30% on the data. Split of what? I mean, but is it that you guys handle the monetization of the data, or is it just like a service you give them to aggregate, slice, dice, you know, model it, whatever, and then push it back? Do you, so do you actually provide an execution mechanism or execution process to, to activate on that data? We do, yes. So Ozone has a centralized sales team, a sales and operations team. It was set up as a, as a co-owned joint venture. So we have a sales team in market, data analysts who, who, who access that data set, can model it, do things like audience discovery, but then you and would, then sell it. You would send it down to exchanges and stuff? You, did yeah. you buy any, any, yeah. any so of your own product or access to that? All of the, all of the publishers sell independently, so we continue okay. to sell our own products. And in, so in some respects, we, we could be seen as competitive, but we don't think so, right? Because we're not really att att uh, attracting those budgets, which are typically going to large audience propositions. Now, they might be going to aggregators of media, might be going to the open market. So Ozone is offering a, qu a quite different, brand-safe, audience-targeted capability with, it, with a unique data set. But for that reason, it's operated independently. And so from a publisher perspective, we sell our own products, but also we see demand coming in from Ozone. And that's via the Ozone uh, wrapper that we've created. So we, we all operate a flat... Head of also, bidding the setup. wrapper is the, uh, the vehicle yeah. that you got? Yeah, so the, we, we built it on a, um, without going too technical, it was a fork of pre-bid. So it's, it, we, we, we took an existing uh, server-side code and built our own uh, capability on top of that. Right. Um, so then we see demand coming in from, from the Ozone team, but it will just compete in our, in our ad stack alongside everything else. But there is, a t there is a team that sits centrally that's selling to clients, to agencies, and going out to market with, a, with the Ozone data set, the Ozone proposition. So they're buying the audience, and it's delivered wherever it's found across the set of, sure. uh, of Ozone publishers, which in terms of scale, I mean, I've said scale is, is not the main thing, but it's important. If, if you've got the scale, it gets you a seat at the table. And now we've seen that with just the four publishers, we're as, we're as big as anyone in, in the market um, so I feel like we've got, the, we've got that, sort of taken that um, away from the equation, and now we're looking at the quality of the data set itself, which is, I it's think it's, it's a good time. It's, it's a good time to do it, because with, with the increasing focus on the quality of first-party data and third-party data being brought into question, then it's, it's, a, it's a good time to do it. All right, thanks. Okay, cool. Anyone else? Any other questions before we move on? Okay, Ben, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening, and a special thank you to our producer, Aditi Sangal. If you like this show, please make sure you subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back again next week with another episode.